All right, welcome back to One True Podcast, talking Baylor and Big 12 college football. Uh, alongside me, as always, is John Werner, the beat writer for the Waco Trib for the Baylor Bears. Johnny, how are you? Bryce, what's with the cap? <laughs> it is <laughs> playoff baseball time. I've got... Uh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, ready to go. Uh I saw a treat, a treat, a tweet from uh, Royden Ogletree over there at, at KWTX, and he said, "Waking up anxious and uh, like for no for no reason, whatever for you know." And he said, "Playoff baseball must be back." And I was like, "Yeah, I can understand that." Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it's a time of anxiousness for all of us who follow baseball teams that are in the playoffs. Uh, Anyway, speaking of KWTX, we have Chris Williams here with us. Chris has been at TX now for two years, covering Baylor, covering high school, covering everything. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I do not feel anxious about uh, playoff baseball at all. So I feel great. Yeah. (laughs) So who's your favorite baseball team? Well, the Salt Lake Bees, but they're there still in the minors. So give yeah. them a couple more years. When they make that jump, then uh, then we'll feel good about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Chris was on with us last year once, uh, and certainly glad to have him back. So, guys, let's dive in. Uh, it's a bye, after a bye week for Baylor last week. Uh, the Bears play their annual Thursday night game uh, this week when they travel to West Virginia. Now, Morgantown has historically been quite the valley for uh, Baylor. Bears have never won there in five previous trips. Um, So is this the year that that losing streak comes to an end? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you look at some of those losses. Those were some of the worst teams Baylor's fielded in those years, and they happened to be playing in Morgantown. I mean, they lost a lot of games when they lost in those years. And then I also think that this West Virginia team, I mean, the last few seasons, they've had a good defense. I don't think they have a very good defense this year. So you give Aranda an extra few days to prepare and uh, and you have a West Virginia team that maybe isn't as stout defensively as they haven't in the past. And yeah, I think uh, I think Baylor is a good shot to break the streak. Uh, I got to say, I'm still waffling on this a bit. I've just gotcha. seen... Too many things go wrong there. Uh, really bad karma. There was a Thursday night game a few years ago. Baylor had a lot of you know extra time to practice. They lost fifty-eight to fourteen. <laughs> of course, they're not nearly as good as this year's team. Uh, that was uh, that was eighteen. Well, they were they were decent. They weren't a, they weren't a bad team. They went seven and six that year. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I uh I don't have just a great feeling about it. That that's the um testimony of a man who's been to Morgantown a few times. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been there with you at least once uh and and yeah, it's a weird place. It's a hard place to win. Obviously it's hard, been hard for Baylor. Uh but I'm with Chris on this one. I think the Bears actually do break that streak. Um Partially, yes, I've mentioned this on the podcast. I'm kind of picking picking them to win two out of every three uh, mm-hmm. and to go eight and four. And 
you know, this is the – so I picked them to lose against Oklahoma State, and I was right. I'm picking them to win against West Virginia. Uh, I, I think they're just better, obviously, than West Virginia at this point. Um, the Bears do have some things they need to get sorted out, and we've addressed some of those on here. But um, but I think they're further along than, than West Virginia at this point. Um, and who knows, maybe the extra time really will help. Um, as, as Chris said, you know, Dave Aranda is such a, a schemer. In, in a good way, you know what I mean? Not a schemer in terms of, like, breaking somebody out of prison. or something Not like, like a that. John Werner schemer. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, a schemer, I mean, the guy loves to, you know, break down X's and O's for us. And sometimes it's like, whoosh. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, you give that guy some extra time, they'll come up with a pretty devious game plan. So yeah. I also I also think that with the extra time also helps just from like a, a mental standpoint as an athlete, because, you know, it is so hard in the season to correct things as you go. So you you take one on the chin. And if you only have five days to kind of get over that loss to Oklahoma State, that's hard. But giving them a little extra time to, to press the reset button and say, OK, we're not going to go undefeated in Big 12 play. Let's hit reset. Let's go back to taking it a game at a time. I almost feel like that's even more of a benefit than the schemes is just being able to reset the mentality and say, all right, let's calm down. Let's just go play Baylor football. Yeah, no doubt. And Dylan Doyle actually talked about it after the Oklahoma state game that just how refreshing the bye week would be for this team. I think they were really looking forward to it, um, you know, to kind of reset as Chris said, um, and speaking of Dylan Doyle, so last week, John, you wrote about uh, Baylor still kind of looking for some of that leadership that was a hallmark of that Big 12 championship team last year. Other than Dylan Doyle, who's kind of the most natural leader on this team, um, who are the leading candidates to kind of step up and fill that void? John, let's start with you. Well, I think Al Walcott would be a guy, uh, you know, he's a, he's a big playmaker. Um, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, he's, uh, seems to have a very outgoing personality when we've interviewed him. I think he might be a guy. I think Bryson Jackson is a guy everybody respects. Uh, he can make some big plays for that defense. Um, I, I think the issue here is that most of their skill people are, are younger guys and those are guys who are often the, uh, the, the team leaders, I guess. And uh, I don't know, offensively, you know, Blake Shapin, but I think he's still kind of a, a work in progress as far as his leadership skills. Uh, I think Gary Bohannon was a, a really good leader last year, even though he probably wasn't as skilled as Blake. So I, I think they're really looking for guys on the offensive side to be leaders. Chris, what do you say? Yeah, Bryce, I think, I mean, what stood out to me kind of during spring ball and then into fall camp was Gavin Holmes seemed to be that guy on the offense. And he obviously had a tough game against Oklahoma State, but I still think he's he's the veteran in that group. He's been there, done that. I mean, he's been there for, I think, like 12 years or something. And um, <laughs> then on top of that, I actually, I heard, and I didn't put in any effort to verify this story at all, but I'm going to throw it out here anyway. I heard that Shapin, uh, I heard that Shapin like took Gavin Holmes out to lunch after that game against Oklahoma State and was just kind of like, hey, 
you know, stuff happens, put it behind us. And so that's a great sign for a young quarterback and a young quarterback who isn't naturally vocal and isn't the natural leader that Gary was. So, I, you know, hearing that and again, not verifying it, but hearing it made me feel good about his progress and the way he approaches the game. But I just don't know. I don't think for sure not this season. I don't see Shapin being that main beacon leader on the offense. I think probably Gavin Holmes needs to take that. And then Connor Galvin up on that offensive line needs to be able to, uh, you know, he's such a recognizable name. He's been there. He does things the right way. So I think Connor Galvin's another one that can really lead this offense. Yeah, I think you can have a lineman. It doesn't have to be a skill guy uh, as your leader. Um, I think Baylor in the past has occasionally had some linemen who were stronger voices on the team. I'm specifically thinking of Spencer Drango. Remember him, John? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he was he was a good voice. Uh, you know, specifically talking about shape and uh, Aranda in the press conference th- uh, the other day, Saturday, mentioned that you know he's he's growing as a as a vocal leader on this team and and I think you know just as he's growing as a quarterback he's growing as a leader and maybe you know lunches with Gavin Holmes whether they're real or not <laughs> uh are are signs of that you know uh but but certainly they need uh I, I think it helps when your quarterback is that guy uh, that everybody can look to because they're a- already in that position where everybody's looking to them. You know, you're such a big part of the team and at the quarterback position. So, um, yeah, I think Shapin needs to become that guy and probably a couple others. And, you know, some of the, some of the names that y'all mentioned. Um, so here on the podcast, Chris, we've talked a lot about, a lot of the pleasant surprise teams in the Big 12, the uh, TCUs of the world, K-State, Kansas. Um, but let's, you know, we're I'm salty this week. Let's talk about the disappointments, um, <laughs> starting with Oklahoma. So <laughs> uh, the Sooners were blitzed by Texas, 49 to bagel. Um in that Red River sh- showdown, is this the worst Sooner team of the Big 12 era? And how bad would it look if the Sooners essentially limp their way into the SEC? Oh, uh, I don't think you can call it the worst yet. I think they're kind of headed in that direction. <laughs> there's some really bad uh, John Blake teams. John Blake <laughs> years were were really bad. That was uh, was Chris even born then? <laughs> I was going to say my my uh, my reference starts in the year two thousand. I was born in ninety five, but I uh, I started paying attention in two thousand. Yeah, those, so. those ninety those late nineties years. That's when John Blake was there, and they were god awful. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know Dylan Gabriel was obviously hurt uh, for the Texas game, and I don't think they have a really good backup for him. And I think that that hurts them. So, you know, until he's maybe back full strength, I think they're going to continue to struggle and boy, that defense is terrible. Oh, God, awful. Yeah. (laughs) They're bleeding points. I mean, everybody's scoring against them. Yeah. Chris, what do you say? I, I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine any other sooner team that doesn't get up for, the Red River. Like, I, I guess I think everyone expected 
you're going to be motivated at least for that game. And they were just so flat for the biggest game on their schedule this year. So it's hard to figure out what's going on. I think, I don't think talent wise, this will be the worst team that's been, you know, the worst Oklahoma team in the big 12 era, but there is some sort of funk going on in that locker room. And that is an issue. And the, and the more it goes, the worse it seems to get. And then as John said, you lose Dylan Gabriel, who's, who's a solid quarterback. I mean, I know people probably hyped him up a little more than they should have, but they just, they have playmakers at receiver. They have four and five star guys that they just couldn't get the ball to because they don't have a suitable backup. And uh, seeing Sooner fans on social media, they did not seem very impressed with that backup quarterback, Bevel or <laughs> yeah. Bevel or however you say it. They were really coming after him. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they have a freshman they can give a shot to. I, I want to hear John say that freshman out of Allen or the transfer out of Allen's name. General Booty. They needed a booty call. <laughs> they needed a booty call. <laughs> but I don't know. This I think this team's in trouble. I think because uh so I think it's more than just a talent issue with Oklahoma right now. Uh yes. And to the second part of my question, which is uh, you know, how does this affect them going into the SEC? It certainly doesn't look good. You know, uh earlier in the season we were talking with uh a writer at the Salt Lake paper and and he was mentioning that for BYU, they really wanted to have a, a good year this year in order to kind of make that transition to the Big 12 and, and you know, have the Big 12 go, yes, we, we really do want you, you know. Uh, and Oklahoma certainly isn't, you know, um, looking like any world beater as they, as they you know, obviously if the, if the Big 12 holds – Oklahoma and Texas to its contract, you know, it won't be next year when they leave, but at the same time, you know, the SEC is probably over there going, really? These are the guys we were taking. <laughs> What's so great about that? <laughs> you know? But yeah. obviously they do bring big fan bases, big tradition. I was going to say, I don't think that they were bringing them in expecting Oklahoma to go in and beat Bama and Georgia in year one or anything like that. I mean, I, I just, I, again, it isn't as exciting as if they were coming off back, you know, more Big 12 titles. But I don't think SEC fans are going to be very broken up if it's a if they just get to beat up on OU and Texas when they get to SEC. I think, honestly, they might look forward to that more. Just, yeah. hey, we, we get to beat these teams that we don't particularly care about. Right. Uh, so the other disappointment I want to talk about is uh, Iowa State. Um, the Cyclones were expected to contend for the Big 12 title last year, um, and they finished only seven and six with a trip to the always thrilling Cheez It Bowl. Um, this year they were picked actually sixth in the preseason polls, so, so right in the middle, so to speak. <laughs> no, they did have one first place vote, which I think, um, kind of signals the confusion over who was going to win this league this year. Um, but they are currently tied with OU, uh, with an 0-3 Big 12 record, so last place, and they have really labored to score some points. Um, so Matt Campbell used to be the hot coach that everybody wanted. What happened? What happened in Ames? John, you were just there a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, uh, I... I think last year was supposed to be the year, you know, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, you know, a great defense. Somehow it just did not happen. And uh, 
you're really not seeing Matt Campbell's names on the hot coaching board anymore. <laughs> 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 so I, I think, I don't know. I think this was kind of a rebuilding year anyway. Um, and they have lost some close games in the Big 12. So, uh, you know, they may not be awful. I, I think they could still be a bowl team. But, yeah, I think last year just kind of passed them by, and now they're kind of in rebuilding mode. Chris? Yeah, Bryce, I mean, you mentioned it with Baylor trying to replace some great leaders from last year's team and how that might mean more than talent in a lot of instances. And is there a bigger leader in the history of the Cyclones than Brock Purdy? Yeah. And uh, and yeah. then I think Brees Hall was, I mean, he's a he's – probably one of the best, if not the best running back to go through that program. And he did things the right way as well. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not used to seeing Matt Campbell get that angry on the sideline. I haven't watched a ton of their games, but I just, I feel like he's been a little not himself this year as well. Some frustration. I also look at the rest of their schedule and it's how I feel about a lot of the big 12. They can lose the next six or they can win four or five of the next six. Like I feel like every single game is still a winnable game on their schedule from here the rest of the way out, even though they have number 13 TCU and, you know, Texas, who all of a sudden people say should be a top five team after they beat the worst Oklahoma team I've ever seen. I just, <laughs> I I think Iowa State could still salvage this season. I just think it's a tough, it's a tough conference to win in. And it's a tough conference to win in when you don't have the veteran leadership that some of these teams, Baylor, Iowa State are used to having. Yeah, and I think something that Iowa State may need to start really catching in on uh, is the transfer portal. Because if you look at what Kansas has done this year and you look at what TCU has done this year, they have gotten some major contributions from transfer portal guys. Um, And to me, um, even as Iowa State has elevated itself under Matt Campbell, Ames is still not the, you know, be all end all place that recruits are just going to go. Yeah. You know, Iowa state, that's where I want to go. So I think they have to, you know, cash in on some of those kind of guys, especially in this era of college football, where it's such a big thing. I mean, there's so Mm -hmm. many guys entering the transfer portal that you can find some guys that you might be able to plug and play. Um, and you know, maybe they're not the next Brock Purdy or the next Brees Hall, but maybe they can, you know, help you win games. And, um, certainly as Chris said, those replacing those guys is a big deal. I mean, uh, watching Brees Hall last year, um, here play in Waco and, and we, of course we'd seen him for a few years. I just was going, man, that guy is ready to play on Sundays today, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right yep. now. He is he is a NFL running back, and uh, I ended up drafting him in my fantasy football league, and uh, he scored double-digit points for me this week, which uh, all the TV guys, incidentally, John, they make fun of my fantasy football league because we're old school, and it's hard to score double-figure points in my league. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, points are at a premium in my fantasy football league, but – Anyway, it is hard to replace Brock Purdy and Brees Hall for sure. It is. And Bryce, I want to touch on that transfer portal thing you mentioned. I hadn't really thought about this, but, you know, Matt Campbell built that program by kind of changing the way they recruit, focusing on recruiting kind of the upper Midwest and getting those kids. And he built it. But I think for you, I don't think he realized when it switched to, okay, 
now we do have enough reputation where we can land some of those transfers that, again, aren't going to be the top transfer, but these are quality guys who look here and say we can win. And I think that you need to you need to be able to adjust. It's one thing to turn the program around. Now, how do you keep it going? Well, you got to look at these other resources that you've earned and you've earned the opportunity for transfers to want to come to your school. You got to cash those in. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, let's go circle back to Baylor for just a second. Uh, as I mentioned, the Bears are making uh, their trip to Morgantown this week. So it's the <laughs> second trip of the season into mountain country uh obviously they made that trip to utah chris's home state uh to play byu earlier in the season so um if you include the incoming big 12 schools and we'll even let ou and texas be part of this they're still in the league um who would you say has the most picturesque setting um or city uh, in the Big 12, and and who has the least? Who are you going to upset today? Well, <laughs> I think hands down, BYU's going to be the best once they join the league. I mean, that's an incredible setting. I mean, you cannot have a better setting than that right, right now, up against the mountains. It, it isn't so much about the stadium, correct? It's more about right. the, the backdrop. Yeah, their stadium could use some upgrades. But, man, what, what a backdrop. Uh, you know, I would probably put Baylor second. I mean, Baylor, Baylor to me has, honestly, if you're talking about just the setting of a college football uh, venue, has one of the best that I've ever been to because yeah. – um, and, and it's just light years from Floyd Casey, by the way, Chris. Uh, you never <laughs> hey, got I watched the game in Floyd Casey. Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, Floyd Casey was just a big bowl, you know, out in the middle of Waco and, and kind of hard to get to. I mean, in terms of just the traffic and, uh, yeah, it was a mess. But, uh, but Baylor, as John said, I mean, being right on the river, I always thought it was genius the way they did the horseshoe, you know, looking out to the river. I mean, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. John, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Uh, I probably put West Virginia third, you know, they're in the mountains. So that's, that's pretty good. Worst, uh, I would probably say Texas Tech. Uh, you know, I just think it's, uh, you know, the stadium's very nice. But it's just flat out there. There is not just a whole lot to look at, and uh, you know the you know the atmosphere is good. Maybe the fans can get a little overzealous at times, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would yeah I'd say Texas Tech. Okay, Chris, I uh, I'm gonna agree. I haven't been to Morgantown yet. I'm, I'm flying out there tomorrow when John goes, and so I'm excited. I hear we're going at the perfect time with the fall colors changing and. And everything. So I'll give it a shot once I get out there. But like John said, that uh, that setting in Provo, uh, when we were Darby Brown and I were driving up to the game from Salt Lake and we came up and she was like, oh, I didn't know the stadium was so small. And then we got to it and she goes, oh, it isn't small. It's just this massive mountain sitting <laughs> behind it makes it look small by comparison. And that and uh, and for John's point where the stadium needs some upgrades, I was going to say, I think BYU in five to 10 years, when they're in the Big 12, they have that commitment, they're going to start upgrading that stadium and they, those fans and those donors and that school are going to do what it takes to, to make it even better. So I think BYU, 
probably already is number one. I think they're only going to expand that lead over their first five to 10 years. And then uh, for worst, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with DKR. I mean, it's a cool hundred thousand fans is cool. I cannot tell you how disappointed I was the first time I went down there and saw the stadium and campus. I, my dad grew up in San Antonio. He's been a Longhorns fan his whole life. They talk like it's so high and mighty. I expected it to be just this gorgeous, well-kept. I went down there. I was like, it's a little bit run down. It looks like I haven't been taking care of it. There's not really anything special going on. I mean, I'm sure the atmosphere, you know, when you pack 100,000 fans in somewhere and they do love their team is cool. But just for a picturesque setting, I mean, I, I don't know. They can do better. Uh- I completely agree. So DKR was going to be my choice kind of as the worst. And and part of it is um, some of the stuff you mentioned, but also uh, to me, when you have a stadium stuck in a big urban area like Austin or Houston, that's coming into the league. Um, it's just not as collegial as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, BYU and Baylor and Ames and Morgantown and it mm-hmm. it feels more like a big city than a than a college town you know and uh Chris you're right they do obviously love the Longhorns but they're but they're to me I've also always kind of considered them the wine and cheese crowd of the the Big 12 <laughs> you know they're a little they're a little uh Laker fan ish you know mm-hmm. in terms of we're going to show up a little late. We're going to leave a little early. We're we're kind of spoiled and we're not nearly as good as we think we are. And I mean, you know, that they're the Laker fans. And uh, meanwhile, the team that left that they'll be joining soon enough, A&M, they're just a bunch of nutcases. I mean, you have never <laughs> seen a more rabid fan base than, than the Aggies. I mean, they're crazy. But But, but DKR, you know, it's just – it's right off the highway. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, uh, I have always loved the the track stadium uh, setting. It's uh, it has been a little kept up better, I think. But what I really like about that is we cover the state track meet every year, and uh, and the shots, the the photos of the pole vaulters vaulting with the state capital in the background. It looks so cool. It, it always kind of looks like they're almost trying to vault over the Capitol, you know, or something. <laughs> it's just a, it, that's a cool backdrop, but, uh, but you don't all really see that at the football stadium, you know, you know, you don't see the Capitol. So um, yeah, I, I'm going with you on DKR. Uh, I will mention about Morgantown. So, so Chris, John and I were there once together and, um, and Baylor had a bye week the next week. And we were going to go to a Steelers game uh, the next on Monday night. Uh, So we were going to stay a few extra days up there in the area. It was the Steelers and the Texans, John. You remember that? Oh, yeah. 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 And so John actually got a ticket. I was cheap and I got a credential and stayed in the press box. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we had a great time there. But. So we stayed a, a couple or, you know, a couple extra days and we're driving in this rural <laughs> West Virginia uh, area. And, um, and you know how John likes to hike. And um, all of a sudden we see this sign that says 
the highest point in Maryland. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Maryland. We had, we, were right on, we were right on the border. Okay. <laughs> we were okay. coming out of West Virginia and Maryland's right there. And, and it was this little trail uh, that took you up to the highest point in Maryland. And these hikers were actually coming off the trail, right. As we were making this little bend and John rolls down the window and it asks them about it. And they're like, yeah, it's a, it's a real easy hike. And, John's like, what do you think? And so we pull over <laughs> and and uh and don't ever let him tell you that he's slow on these hikes. He left me behind, you know. <laughs> uh it was it was not that high, but it was still kind of high. I mean, and this dude was just powering up, and I was like, All right, I'll see you in a few minutes, John. I'll be there. But <laughs> he just caught me on a good day. <laughs> Man. And it was cool. It was a really picturesque spot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it just kind of out of nowhere. Just, oh, highest point in Maryland? Yeah. <laughs> Maryland. We just went around a curve and all of a sudden <laughs> it was this trail and it was like, all right, we'll check it out. And yeah, so you got to check that off the list, John. Yeah, it was pretty cool. A right. surprise. Uh, and it it was a really I mean, I am kind of envious of you guys going at this time of year with all the fall colors and stuff. I remember us, John, driving those country roads and turning on John Denver. Uh, and, of course, you know, of course, you have to. <laughs> and singing along. And, you know, it, it was it was awesome. It's what you think of New England in the fall, for sure. Okay. I uh, See, I was going to fly into actual Morgantown, and John said, no, you got to get fly to Pittsburgh, rent a car, and drive through. So that's what we're doing now, John. So if it's not the most beautiful fall foliage I've ever seen in my life, I will never forgive you. Well, you know what? You're, you're from uh, Utah. Uh, that's that's a pretty high bar there. So I, I think you're going to be. I think you're going to be impressed. I, I don't. Okay. I don't have a lot of concerns. You're gonna, yeah. I hope gonna, so. It's yeah, it's the so. ideal time to go. Yeah, and Pittsburgh. I mean, besides driving through the, the foliage through West Virginia, uh that's the place to fly into. There's really it's a not, cool place. Yeah, there's real well there's not be impressed. a good way to get to Morgantown. So yeah, that was our uh, our layover in Pittsburgh would have been longer than the drive to Morgantown. It was like a two hour layover alone. So it's like all right, we'll just we'll take John's word for it. <laughs> yeah. Well y'all enjoy like uh it. get some get uh, here's a pro tip get some pierogies in t- in pittsburgh uh yeah, yeah the polish dumplings uh oh, my, my wife is, is uh her family is polish like from way back but uh, wait so is there is there meat like give me the rundown of what so a pierogi <laughs> a pierogi looks like a looks like a big fat dumpling and uh it has it can have uh potato or cheese or sauerkraut in it i'm not a sauerkraut guy but uh um and you Generally, I eat it as a side to Polish sausage. So, oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, we so my wife's family, Janet, they we they have they make homemade pierogies and uh, and they're amazing. You can buy them in the store and they're not bad in the frozen food section, but uh, but yeah, Pittsburgh would have some that are pretty good. Some nice pierogies. Okay. I'll, I'll hit that and expense it on the KWTX card. Yeah, I'll, just get, I'll get one of every kind. There you yeah. go. That's a good call. All right, guys. Y'all enjoy. I will be here in Waco holding it down. Uh, and, you know, uh, 
We'll see how we'll the send, bears come out, but appreciate we'll it. Send photos. Don't worry, Bryce. We'll send you some pictures. All right. Thanks guys. <laughs> Thanks Chris for joining us. See you guys.